G'day and welcome to the Women's Footy Podcast, the first ever interview, in fact, on the Women's Footy Podcast. I've got to get used to saying that and not the Mind Your Body Show. Today, I'm speaking to Becky Taylor, and I couldn't think of anyone more appropriate to come on the first interview episode of the Women's Footy Podcast. Becky, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Jacob. Thank you. First woman to play 200 NTFL games. Tell me a bit about that, and then we'll go back as we normally do in the theme. But tell me about the 200 games in the NTFL. All righty. So I just want to um, throw a little in there for myself. It was 200 consecutive. <laughs> oh, really? So I think, yeah, I Far think that out. would be first for a male or female to have done 200 consecutive. And in there I've had knee reconstructions and all sorts of stuff as well. So... I'm pretty proud of the journey. It's pretty tough in part, and um, but it's pretty awesome overall. And um, yeah, felt absolutely privileged to to be a part of the whole women's footy journey, I guess, or an, an integral part in some ways as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Congratulations. We will get on to that. We'll talk in more depth. So I wanted to start off with that, though, because this is the first ever women's footy podcast episode. Uh, interview. Let's go right back in how I normally would do it with the old The Mind Your Body show. What did we interrupt in your day today? What would you normally be doing at this point in time on a Saturday afternoon? Well, my current lifestyle is pretty new to me. So um, I'm overlooking the Endeavour River in Cooktown. So um, yeah, just yeah, living on a hill, enjoying nature, surrounded by a lot of trees and a lot of water and um, enjoying the local life, really, getting to know people, what the place is all about, and, um, and getting to know myself in this time as well. So not interrupting a lot, probably some doggy beach time, um, a look around the sites, really. Yeah, just enjoying That's where awesome. I'm at. So life right now is pretty chill living around Cooktown. Let's go right back to young Becky Taylor. What was life like growing up? Tell me about the Becky Taylor story. You can go back to as far back as you want to go. I've got a feeling with you, though, we might be going back intergenerational, though. We could be going back to past lives. So go back to where you want to start from. I was thinking that when you are asking, I was like, where do I start? Um, yeah, we, well, for me, I think we've all had a lot of past lives. But um, this life, time round, I'll talk about. And, um, yeah, born in Leonora, so on the edge of the central desert in Western Australia. And um, just grew up a bush kid, a desert rat. And um, loved it, absolutely loved it. Um, I can tell you one of the biggest themes in my childhood was, or outside family, was probably the mummel and growing up in Wongatha country and talking about spirit all the time, all the time. And um, it was just amazing. It's taught me so much. And um, I remember the kids at school were just constantly stirring each other about spirit. Um, one of my uncles had the funeral business as well, and because of, um, you know, one of the people are so um, spiritual in every sense, it was it just guided our daily living, our conversations, everything. But um, we used to tease people about, you know, the mummels and the all that coming out of the, uh, what is it, the funeral car, the hearse or whatever it is, <laughs> um, and all sorts of things. But really deeply entrenched, you know, we were on motorbikes on weekends going out camping and all that, just kids, but we'd be in caves and camping with goats and sorts of stuff and uh, kangaroos. It was lovely. But um, spirit was probably a big theme. Family love was a big theme. Um, fun, a lot of fun. And just free. Yeah, free. So tell me about growing up after, you know, all of that young childhood. What was, how did you, what, you, you kind of moved around a bit. How did you end up where you are now through the different places you've lived? Um, so we didn't have a, anything past year seven in um, Leonora, so had to go away to boarding school. Um, that was both fun and hard. I think later in life, after boarding school, I found it hard. I realised, oh shit, I lost my parents at age 12, 13. And um, because essentially you grow up under someone else's guidance and, you know, in a boarding house, there was 
what, four boarding houses and we had about 40 girls in each house. So <laughs> you're really growing up with a whole heap of sisters, which was amazing, amazing. And um, I think I really tapped in there. That was in Perth, actually. Really tapped into like a lot of feminine energies and understandings there of how to work with females. Um, went back to Leonora, worked on the mines for a while, then went away to uni in Perth to do sports science and rec management and a few things of interest there. Always wanted to be in PE teaching and then I got to the opportunity to go to uni and I thought, shit, what do I want to be a PE teacher for? I don't want to be confined by the rules and regulations or the four walls and I thought I'd rather be doing recreation management where you're grabbing kids and you're going out to breakaways and, you know, climbing mountains and eating kangaroo and teaching someone how to make damper and do all the, all the fun stuff with recreation. I, d I did a few cycle tours and whatnot, took them down in dwelling up and places like that. Was was great, actually. <laughs> um, not well planned, some of them, because I um, tried to cross a few rivers and being a desert rat, shit scared of water. So it was pretty hard to jump in stream 200 metres upstream so you knew you'd float down level with everybody else because you couldn't <laughs> swim across it. But anyway, getting sidetracked there. That was um, paying my way through uni and whatnot. Went back to Leonora, um, had my daughter there, Talia. Um, she's amazing. And life there with a, with a young baby was really good. And I was managing the local recreation centre, actually. And... Um, Started doing a drop-in centre for the youth there and had all sorts of sports going. It was amazing getting the mine people, the local people and even communities around um, Leinster, Laverton, Menzies, all the areas in uh, Mount Margaret Mission to play all the sports together regularly and whatnot. Really built up such a sporty community. And um, there was... I couldn't take my daughter to work. Like, she got to the age of four where I'm running the kiddie gymnastics program and, you know, due to workplace rules, you can't take your child to work. So I was paying someone else to be Talia's parent to come to take her to my classes. And I just <laughs> thought, oh, I need to get out of here. Like, I didn't want to be restricted by that either. I wanted, you know, to grow up with my child as well. So um, I'd... Um, where am I going with this? I'd been to, yeah, when Talia was one, I'd actually been up to the Northern Territory. I went um, with her dad and uh, we lived in Catherine for a while and very fortunate that I flew out on the eve of the Catherine floods because we lost everything in the house and whatnot. Um, I was on a plane back home to Leonora for Christmas. Um, and what's happened there? I just remembered from Catherine driving up and down to Darwin and everybody was so sociable and the thing to me was um, didn't matter what um, what you were, who you were, it was just sport. Everybody was together socially. Like it was, it's thirsty weather up there so everybody had a, a reason to come together and, and share socially. So there was a bit of beer drinking and stuff going on although I've not really been a, a big and I certainly haven't been for years but at the time I just saw other people enjoying it so much and their sport and the outdoor lifestyle. Anyway back home in Leonora I was that, that's when I was managing the recreation centre and I thought stuff this this is a dry desert and I've been here for you know in and out for 30 years and um, I remember the greenery of Darwin and thought that's where I'm going. So yeah headed to Darwin you mentioned uh, in that journey there feminine energy. Can you explain a bit more what you mean about that? You, it was in reference to when you were talking about, I think you came back to Leonora or you just went to Perth. Um, but oh, my boarding you... school years, feminine energy. Yeah, so living with another 40 girls in the same house. Um, it, I'm the only girl in my family, so I've grown up with brothers and um, obviously they had their boy cousins around. Um, the girl cousins were a lot older than me and it was more the boys my age that were around. Um, and I had one cousin on my mum's side actually who her and I used to try and dress the same and do all this sort of stuff and act like sisters. Um, I just, just loved her. But 
going to boarding school, I felt like I had another 40 sisters. And I went from, like, there was seven of us in our year group in Leonora. And then there's, you know, 120 of us in a year group down in Perth. And I was just like, wow, wow, all these people. And I was just amazed that there was just so many females around that, you know, it was a real tomboy. I was growing up on motorbikes and BMX bikes and I don't regret any of it. I loved it. And, you know, we were always doing flag races in the front yard, but everything was um, competition, competition, sport, sport, sport. And my brother being a year older, um, he was actually very good at everything he did. Like he's one of those people that everything he touches turns to gold and he's an awesome leader in everything he does, excellent business person. And I just thought it's nice to be out of the competitive world and in with this nurturing spot of females. And it was um, a lot of fun. I think that's where I turned into a bit of a rat bag for a while. <laughs> just, you know, after school we'd um, get the high jump with us at, I made friends with the PE teacher straight away, but on weekends and stuff and after school, we'd say to her, because they were all the, well, we used to call them day bugs, the day scholars, and we'd say, oh, can we have the key to the sports room so we can go in on the weekend and get the basketballs out or we'd get the, um, oh, we can go and get the high jump buns and we'd practice high jump because they used to be right into athletics in those days. And, um, yeah, it was just sport, sport every afternoon and every weekend and, was awesome. So you ended up moving to Darwin. Tell me about the move to Darwin and what was it like? Darwin. Well, um, I went up there with a daughter, a backpack and a dog. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then I think Carly and I were doing an add-up and we moved over 24 homes in about 20 years. <laughs> and um, the last couple of years there was a lot more stable. But, um I just found that combination in Darwin <laughs> back in those days was um, if you, you're looking for something cheap, it was just an absolute dive. Um, <laughs> and it was wet season that I went up there. So every house I looked at was mouldy. And I'm thinking, well, it just don't, doesn't cut it for me. I didn't want to live in mould. I'm not a flashy person, but I certainly didn't want to be living in mould. Um, so, yeah, every six months or so, we'd be moving around to try and find something cheaper or nicer or whatever but in that time I, I always had a feeling it was important to keep Tali enrolled in the same school regardless of where we moved so that was that was routine and consistency for her but um Darwin uh, this is where I'm going to get on to Woody so um I went down to basketball straight away because I'd um bless Kristen Rioli has um us on from the, from this plane, and um, but her and I played a bit of basketball together in Perth SBL, and um, anyway I came to see her up in Darwin, and um, we lived with her dad for a while as well, um, Charlie and I, and um, I went to basketball training for Rebels, and I think Maddie Bonson was the coach back then, and I would turn up three or four times, and no one was coming to training. And I just thought, I'm one of those people who, yeah, training is great. Like, it's just an opportunity to team bond. It's just an opportunity to hang out with like-minded people and have fun. So I, I'm a person that always trained, always. But people weren't coming to training. And I'm like, Kristen, like, what's going on? And she goes, yeah, that's like, hey, that's how we are. That's how it is. And um, and every time I rang Maddie, he's going, oh, yeah, we changed it to this day. Or, no, we were at that venue or... So I just thought I'll stuff it because um, I was right into basketball pre-footy. And then anyway, um, I was driving past the uni one day and I saw a couple of ladies on the oval and um, they had a footy. I think there's only three of them. And I pulled in and um, I was like, yeah, that's my thing. So they were just mucking around with a footy. It might have been a rugby ball, but they were kicking it. And I just thought, oh, yeah, AFL. So I went in there and... Um, the old uni oval and pulled in and we got chatting and stuff and we just had a kick and they weren't playing there was no competition footy or anything like that in Darwin they were just sort of having a muck around together and from there I just my juices just grew straight away like I was like yep yep this is my next journey I'm getting into footy and so there it started just met met those friends and um met up again and again and decided to grow the game it was, it was great 
What year do you reckon that would have been that you saw those ladies on the uni oval? I reckon about 2000, maybe early 2001. And then um, they had, yeah, the year 2000, um, the NT ladies went away and played their first um, AFL Women's National Champs then. And um, they came back and there was no competition or anything like that. And when I was talking to these three ladies, one of them was like, oh, yeah, we used to play, we used to do this and no one organises anything. And I very quickly learned, Jacob, that NT stands for not today, not tomorrow, no train, no truck, not Tuesday, not Thursday, (laughs) everything. Everyone was so slack and... I've been paid out all my life for being a procrastinator and being late for everything. And when I got to the NT, it was doing my head in and I thought, <laughs> oh, how does everyone else go? But um, everyone was really casual and, um, yeah, they were telling me about it and I was like, yeah, well, let's start again, let's go again. And that year we actually did. We went, cool, where did we go after that? That first year we took team to Sydney and... Um, that was fun. I did my ACL and Ron Barassi carted me off the oval. <laughs> First game, New South Wales thought they'd roster on against NT, you know, being easy beats. And um, I was all pumped, ready to go. I was rover and then um, ran out of the centre of the um, – like they had cricket pitches were at Dremoyne Oval and so the whole centre was the red sand. And um, I ran out with grass, hit the red sand patch, and I don't know what happened, but did my ACL. And it was within the first two minutes of a national championship. <laughs> and Ron Barassi was a patron opening it for women's footy, so he came out and everyone's going, oh, you're so lucky, Barassi helped you off. And, I mean, he's, yeah, he's left this plane now too, but he was um, there supporting women's footy from the beginning. Um, anyway, after that championship, I actually tried to run out for a few games towards the end of that one, but came back to Darwin and just rehabilitated like crazy and thought, you know what, I, for us to get anywhere, like, I don't want to go away as easy beats. I don't want to go away as I want to give it a shot. And for us to get anywhere, I need to start a local comp. So yeah, that's what I did. (laughs) Well, that, that's what you did. And what a massive feat at that. There yep. must have been some challenges. Tell me about oh, that journey. Yeah. So, so we're talking like 2000, 2001. I believe the first NTFL game was in 2013. Correct me if I'm wrong. Because yeah, I'm, that's wrong. I will correct you. Yeah. What year was the first game then? Um, shit, I can't remember if it's 03 or 04. And but, you, um, was there clubs or was it yep. more? Yeah, it was clubs. It was established. We were we registered. We became an incorporated. We were WFLNT then, Women's Football League Northern Territory. So a bit of history on that is basically AFLNT were, yeah, we'll support you, we'll support you. But in a nutshell, um, I don't think they had the insight that I had towards what women wanted out of the game. They certainly didn't have the belief I had and they – and in fairness to them, they just probably weren't exposed to it or didn't have the capacity um, as an organisation to do anything with us. Um, TIFA, they were back in the, you know, the, um, what is it, top in amateur league. They were brilliant. Um, Tracy Village were one of the clubs that were like, yeah, yeah, we want women's footy to happen. And so Tracy Village was actually going to be a club in the first year and they were brilliant and, and so was uni. Um, but then we had St Mary's, um, Wanderers were semi on board and then pulled. Um, Nightcliff through Pam Watson was brilliant. They were really good. Waratahs were great. Brian Price down there was brilliant and had a lot of girls who had very good skills in other areas of life that could really, you know, set a good foundation off-field. Um, but they were at a lot of party girls in there as well who <laughs> wanted to go out and just have a go with the footy. Um, and who was, oh, Buffaloes with, um, oh, who was, um, I can see the guy, I can't think of the president's name at the time, but Woody. Um, anyway, we went in, we... Who was um, it, sorry? Oh, Woody, what's his name? Um, shit. I'm sure people around the traps will know who Woody is. 
Yeah. Well, it was funny, like, going to St Mary's and would be like, yeah, you can borrow the under-16s jumpers. Don't you leave dents in the front of them. And I was like, oh, Vic. I said, um, I'll wash them and I'll bring them back smelling like perfume. And he's like, don't you dare put any softener on there. The boys won't know what to do. And um, <laughs> as much as he sort of gave that sort of lip, he was very supportive. Um, the big one was Pam Watson at Nightcliff. She was great. At that time, AFLNT were giving laptops to clubs to help them out with their management. And Pam, I think, was set up on her own personal laptop and um, what's out of the bag now, but we, we ended up with that AFLNT laptop. And she said, oh, I'm going to give this to women's footy. I've got mine. Um, I really want this to work for you. And they moved Helen Highwater for us to have halftime games, you know, during the men's functions on home rounds and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they were really good. But anyway, we didn't – Bill Gee was great from TIFA. He would give us um, oval time during TIFA games, all that sort of stuff, run the gates and canteens. So it was – you know, it um, brought that atmosphere about. But um, in the end, there seemed to be a bit of a cuff buffle between AFLNT and TIFA and women's – because they were two different men's comps – we couldn't come under the same insurance and we couldn't do this if we had clubs from the NTFL and clubs from TIFA. So Tracy Village and Bill Gear and the rest of them had to say, look, I'm really sorry, we can't do it. So I went with NTFL. I wanted to go, I guess I were the peak body, wanted to go with them initially. So I sort of went with them, only they weren't, there were people in there that were helpful um, Jenny Elliott, Leslie Islet was working there then, um, Michael Barfoot. Um, but the organisation wasn't great towards us, to be honest. Um, John Mitchell was marketing manager at the time. He was, he was very good. Um, but it just still wasn't gelling. And I feel like we had to run the women's comp. We incorporated our own association. We ran the women's comp for three years and we could then say, here – he's a ready-made competition, now can you take it on as one of your divisions? Like, it's not that hard, just put it in as a division of its own. So I think that was 2006-07 we first moved in to, under the AFL-NT umbrella in the NTFL. But, um, yeah, there were a lot of struggles there. <laughs> Charlie King was pretty good in the early days, but also when we needed to be incorporated and get on with things, Charlie being Charlie and very busy, We'd never done for meetings, and I just thought I didn't want him to leave, but I wanted to kick him off our committee so we can have a quorum. <laughs> because, um, and I was just like, girls, let's just ask Charlie to be the patron. That way, he's he's got the gift of the gab. He can still talk us up. He can still be involved. He can still do all the rest of it, but he doesn't have to be committed. Is I think at that time Charlie was um, was getting a, he was on air a lot. And he was just busy. So um, yeah, yeah. But, no, there's a lot of people that really helped out. But it was really um, morning, noon and night, seven days a week of work. I actually ended up quitting my job to run women's body free of charge for the first three years. And um, that was very potentially draining, energy draining, all the rest of it. But um, I can only look back and, I yeah, I've got a lot of regrets in the way I did bits and pieces and in my tired times I was probably pretty crusty but um, overall I think I need to be proud and I need to go shit back, we did it, you know we really did it and that was women running it, that was women running it and we handed over ready made competition and I was actually getting into schools we had uh, high school girls comp we had primary school clinics and um, come and try days and all sorts of things trying to grow like the whole pathway, I didn't want it just to be women's footy. I wanted the young girls to come into our game. Yeah. So who? How actually? How so? Two hundred consecutive games. How many games did you end up playing consecutively, and then in total? Um. Well, I don't know. I think. Um, I think I played about thirty-five games for NT. Um over about a 10-year period of playing in the, the the old format of the national championships. Um, I, I don't know, Jacob, it was probably about 230 NTFL games. Um, I played back in the first three years. 
I was pretty much just, I played about 140 for St. Mary's and the rest were with Wanderers. But um, in the first three years, to make sure there weren't any forfeits, what we used to do is, with the teams, if you were short, um, you could borrow two players from another club for that one round. And um, I played, I filled in, I played my game and then the game after is nightclub was short. So I went on, so they had their starting numbers and played the first quarter, came off and then someone got injured, so I had to end up going back on. <laughs> and Buffaloes as well, they were short one round. And um, they were like, oh, can we borrow two players from somewhere? And I just played mine and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> but I was a bit of a fitness freak back then. I just wanted to be, at, oh, apart from wanting to be out there, to be honest, I just wanted the games to happen because I wanted to be able to say to NTFL, here, we've had X amount of rounds and we haven't had any forfeits. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, my, my first lot were at St Mary's and second, second lot at Wanderers. Well, that's where I was going to go with that. So, um, but before I do, so all up, you've played for St Mary's Wanderers, Buffs, and Nightcliffe. Technically, like you've been filling <laughs> in those one other, game for Buffs, it? one game for Nightcliffe, but yeah, for four clubs. Yeah. So and the it, first and, game, and um, we used to be known as the NT Kites, and we later rolled over to NT Thunder to be in line with with the guys. Oh, really? I didn't know that NT Kites. Yeah, that was NT Kites. Well, it was a strong and powerful bird which lived in the Territory <laughs> and yeah. it hunted with precision and accuracy and we're like, yeah, that sounds like us. <laughs> that sounds cool. I actually think I, I like that. I Should, do too. Yeah. And, and to be honest, it was we were really well known for our ability to tackle. We had a lot of rugby players come in, but our, we didn't understand a lot of the strategy of the game as players. We didn't understand. We couldn't put a lot of things together. Um, and our skills weren't the greatest, but, man, the NT, we were just tenacious with tackling with our defensive work. But yeah, we were a good so defensive side ever, for years. Yeah, your first ever game was in the NT, WFL NT comp, correct? NT, WFL, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was with St Mary's. Who was that against and what was that game like? <laughs> Hot Sun against Waratahs. Um it was just, um, we're in yellow jumpers, so I think we were in the under-14 boys jumpers. And um, I loved it. It was out on the main oval. And um, in the change room, everyone was hot and sweaty. And um, we had a lot of girls from um, Camilda back then and St John's. And then we had a whole handful of us. Well, I was one of the older girls then. Um that really just had really good structure and loved the young ones being there and we'd bend over backwards to get them to training and all the rest of it. But that first game, um, it, it was it was pretty mind-blowing when, when I look back. I haven't really looked back at the very first game until you just mentioned it, but I can remember it just being a sunny day. And um, I'll give an example of one lady. I, I won't say her full name because things happen down the track um, with – her not being able to play but um her name was Michelle and um she just had a hoot she was quite a bit older than me but she came out and just seeing her be around women running around playing sport and actually she's from another country and just to see the love in her that she was just so electric and alive and she was actually quite sporty as well. And she kept saying, oh, I don't know what I'm doing in footy. And I said, it doesn't matter. You're alive. You're running around. Look at you. Like she was just glowing. And I was looking at everybody just thinking to myself, everyone just feels so good. Like it was a real um, feeling moment and like a, like footy is. But that sort of stuff was like, yeah, we've got to make this happen. got to make this happen. We won the game, actually, um, quite surprisingly, because the Waratahs were, as I said, they were well organised. They were doing all these major car washes and all sorts of events beforehand to get all their finances together and all sorts of stuff. It was great. Um, yeah, it was good. We knew we had work to do after that, but we knew that it was – I just knew it was a sure thing. I just put out a fixture for the whole season and went, right, we, we're doing it. And we did. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. So what were the biggest lessons that you learned in the 200-plus games from after that first game? Oh, um, 
so my I haven't totally separated myself as a player and myself as an organizer yet. Um, I sort of carried it as my baby for a long time as an organizer. I wanted it to be right, and what I really wanted was for it to be sustainable because I was hearing from the rugby girls, um, oh, yeah, we do this, but we have four games and it falls apart. Well, no one really wants to organise anything in the Territory and it just falls apart. So I knew very early on as an organiser this has to be sustainable. Like, So I was very strict on rules and all that sort of stuff because I wanted everyone to know where they stood and, no, you're not going to muck us around, no, you're not going to cheat the system, no, you're not going to play unregistered players, no, you're not going to do this. Get organised, make it happen, let's make this legit. Um, so I, I've learned a lot about... Um, people's perceptions, like a lot of people thought that um, I was cheating for St Mary's or I was doing this or that for my own good. In a sense, it was my own good. I wanted to enjoy the game, but I also wanted it to be sustainable and I wanted it to, it to be there for our children and their children and all the women after us. So I was, I guess you could call it anal in a way, <laughs> about um, the off-field organisation. As a player... Um, what have I learnt? Um, I, I have some regrets, I guess, as a player. I have lot, lots of fun and I did really well. Um, I think I gave it my best effort most of the time, but I'll be honest in saying, yeah, there were days where my head was in the organisation or, you know, life happens somewhere else sort of thing. But um, I know Bo Delacruz is a beautiful athlete and she's got this one saying that goes, um, you can't control what you can't control. Just control what you can control. And I always used to think, sorry, Bo, but I used to think, yeah, yeah, all right. You can just come in. You're a high-class athlete. It's all right for you. You know, we've got all this other stuff to deal with as well. But looking back, I absolutely 100% agree. Like, if you can just be present and be in the moment of life, and absolutely give it your best shot while you're living it, whether it's on the sporting field, whether it's with your children, whether it's in study, whatever, whatever your pathway is, you know, just give it your best shot because um, it, you know, felt like centuries when I was in it, but time comes and goes like that. And um, so I've learned to let go of a lot more, thanks to Bo's little saying, control what you can control. Um, yeah, be present, um, be mindful, and I think the opportunities that were created, like I know, um, I've, you know, I've got friends on the Tiwi Islands that had really even been to Darwin, let alone taken into state for a game. So I've just learnt that everything we do, we're not only providing an opportunity for ourselves, but we're creating for the people around us as well. And I think that's one of my loves in life is for everybody to be living their best life. And, I mean, it's it's the greatest respect. There's people that have named their... Um, there's lovely ladies on the Timmy Islands that have named their daughter after my daughter, you know, just because they're at our house so often and we looked after them so much and things like that. So that's really nice. And um, I love that they've had opportunities. So I just think when we're going through things in life, You've, you've got to be brave, like we all shit ourselves and we back out of things, but just be brave knowing that, well, you're actually setting a pathway for someone else, someone else out there who you don't even know about, you're, you're leading something for them, you're providing an opportunity for them down the track. And um, I think that's pretty special. Um, player, what else have I learned? Just all the relationships. And I think... Um, it's, it's beautiful to develop friendships out of sport. Um, what I didn't realise at the time, but I do realise now, is the most important relationship is the one with yourself. And um, a lot of people, you know, beat themselves up and they're in the head and I probably lived my life um, speaking negatively of myself and then lived that outwardly. Um, and if I had my time over, I, I would love, you know, for, for women to know that, just love on you, or anyone really, but we're talking women's footy. Love on yourself first. You know that's that's where it all starts. And the more at peace and in love with yourself that you are, not so much in a conceited way, but 
in a way that you're honoring, you know, loving doing your journey, then the more that that will spread to the people around you and the more connected and loved the whole environment will be. What's your most memorable, treasured, funniest memory in your 200 plus games of playing footy up here? Um, my most treasured memory. I think I'm actually just feeling really nice in my heart. Like, um, I could go out there and say, oh, yeah, played nine or ten grand finals, won five or did this or did that or whatever. That's, to me, that's up there. That's nice. But, no, it's not up there as high as the feeling of um, just the vibe of people. Like, it's... I can see why people turn to religion or sport or whatever it is, um, bikey gang. <laughs> but um, people need to be connected. Like, it's humans come here to love and to connect. And I've often looked back and go, that was my women's footy journey is, I didn't realise at the time, but the place where I was in, I just wanted to connect with other women. And I saw women's footy as a tool to do that. And it wasn't until my, like, right at the very end of my journey that I realised that, oh, shit, just be who you are. Like, I'm quite a, a lot more of a nature fairy and gentler than I sort of portrayed in footy. But um, why don't I just be that and connect with women, like, um, just through that heart space? I don't need footy to be my tool, my audience anymore to connect with women because I was, felt like I was always looking after the young ones and... Um, giving them opportunities or people that were further remote or not doing so well in life, I guess those heart connections are my biggest feelings from it, memory-wise. And, yeah, sometimes I think, oh, it's just a Band-Aid, Becky, you didn't help out. You might have saved that person on the day, but how have you changed their life? So it has taken me on enough path to dig deeper into myself to find out how it can help more sort of thing in life yeah but that they're think? the memories the heart memories yeah yeah that's great what do you think when you look at football now for women from grassroots local level you know premier league through to the aflw um well first of all i've got to say i love it i love it um, and I really do. I love um, the style of game that's coming through. You know, the younger girls are playing, the, the better, the more strategic the game is. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm mindful that um, footy as an industry can consume people too much so in what I mean in that is this is quite raw Jacob but I feel that the brand AFL has a lot of control over our beliefs and what we should make a stance on and what we shouldn't make a stance on in life and I don't want anyone to be owned by anyone I'd love everybody to be a free being and um, I just feel that and coming up, I mean, club level now, you can't even wear a T-shirt without being a billboard. You know, gone the days of the old cotton T-shirt, natural fibres, you felt good. Um, I know in Darwin you've got to have cool, dry stuff so because <laughs> we sweat so much. But it's you're just a billboard. And I don't know that there's as much care in there with all the busyness of everything that there used to be back in the day of sport. And the same as the elite level. I mean, take your program out. Well, I mean, comment on your stuff. I know you as a coach. I've been coached by you with different things. And um, I know you connect with the person, with the whole of person still. Whereas footy, I feel that sometimes I just feel it's so generic. And I, it's great for those people that are of strong character, very clear about what they want. And yes, this is part of my life it's not my whole life whereas I feel that there's a whole whole heap of people in that range 
whether it's club sport or elite sport, that are um, going in there not strong in their identity and just losing parts of themselves in the hustle and bustle and the push in the direction of where the sport wants to go as an industry. Yeah, I think that's really important to remember that, and I've long had this, you know, value, belief, I don't know what it is, that it, football is just a game and, you know, you yeah. can get hot under the collar about yes. it. And I love cheering, you know, like I, my, my men's team is Richmond, my women's team is Adelaide, you know, like like I love cheering for my team, you know, at local level, anything. Like I love sport and getting really, like, excited about winning and losing. But, you know, you win and you celebrate, you know, you party, you lose and, you know, you commiserate. And But it's not worth, you know, breaking your t- TV over or, you know, like kicking a can. Yeah, at the end of that, it's just sport, you know, and you go out and, yeah. you know, you win and, uh, you know, I truly believe you should be winning with grace. You know, you can celebrate and jump jump around, but, you know, you, you, you stop cheering for a moment to shake you know your opponent's hand who's just lost and if you're on the receiving end of a loss then you know like you go over and congratulate them and you know shake the hand and you know in the back of your head you can be like I'll get you next time but you know well done enjoy this this time you know I think I love what you just said where you hit on the fact that it's just part of your life football is not your entire life football is just one part of life and I like the other thing you said about it's just a vehicle for something bigger and more meaningful which was to connect so i love sport i love football in particular as a sport um for what it brings to life but exactly what you just said i truly believe it's just one part of life and you've always got to remember that you know win lose or draw and it's 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 good it's just good fun yeah, yeah, thank you. And I mean, I, well, I go for the crows too, they're our NT girls. <laughs> um, and um, it is a game, like, I'm glad you said that because it is just a game. And you look at the men's comp and, you know, I've seen guys that aren't travelling well in relationships and stuff. They're not getting each other to pull their heads in. They, they'll, they'll party with the bloke and feed him more whatever they're on or more alcohol or whatever else. And um, in some ways it's, you know, people go there to, we think it's a safe environment to find ourselves in or to grow in. And, um, but there are aspects of it that we can lose our identity quite easily. But in saying that, there's also, you know, people have been in trouble and it's your teammates that will get around you first and pull you up and um, get you back on track. And... Um, just side noting to that, I think the physicality of the game and um, any sort of movement in life I think is vital, vital to our health, vital to um, not just our physical health but our mental, emotional health. Um, you know, I'm so into emotions and um, energy and things like that. It actually does get trapped and stored in our body in different ways and being physical is an opportunity to allow, like I don't see energy as good or bad but it sometimes stale so it's an opportunity to move that energy out and move on so we can keep processing in life in other ways as well the more we move so I love it as a physical game you know you remind me of a conversation I was having with a guy who I went to uni with he's a PE teacher as well just like me his name is Glenn Randall and he played for Palmerston and Southern Districts very good footballer very very fast especially over the first 20 metres and uh, his ability to connect with people, particularly, you know, young teenagers is second to none. Um, and he is part of the furniture now at Palmerston um, uh, Middle School and High School. And, um, and it's no surprise because he's so good with connecting with those teenagers. But one of the things we're on prac, and I think um, John Anstess might have been there as well, who we're at uni with um, at, together, St Mary's player, and I remember Glenn said there was a boy that was really good at sport and he said, you know, the thing I've noticed working with a lot of, you know, kids like young people, um, young adults through to, to young kids, the ones that play sport generally are more balanced with their emotions when they play sport at school. So the one, so when you come in for a school PE lesson, typically, and I've paid attention to this a lot since I heard him say it probably, what, 
15 years ago maybe, um, the, the, the kids who do play sport outside of school, not always, but generally, more often than not, are a bit more balanced emotionally when they play sport at school because they're used to that winning, losing sense of emotion, those emotions that you get from that and dealing with it and handling it. Whereas the kids generally who don't play sport outside of school, that's their outlet at school. So they do get a bit more, and I don't think they've had as much practice with like handling that winning, losing emotions where when they're at school, they do get a bit more upset when they lose. Yeah. Have you ever noticed anything like that? Yeah. Well, there were, when the women's footy first started, there were um, people that played the game, um, it's sad to say this, and I don't make apology because it's just truth, but I'm not having a shot at anyone here. But there were people that played the game just to be a thug. But you could see that they were just getting mm, whatever was going on in their personal life out on the footy field. And unfortunately, it was against another female. And I used to, you know, be rough and tumble with people too, but it was more or less play within the rules and don't put a female out, but put her out of that... Um, contest don't put her out for a week she's possibly a mother or she's young and we had such young kids in the game in women's game then as well or she's a student like put them out to scare them off like for that contest and scare them off the next contest but don't intentionally be a thug and take someone out of the game so um but I could also see that it was a real venting session for for some people with stuff going on in their lives but the people that um, stuck with it and were consistent with that, um, you know, physicality, that movement, that progression that their body was doing it at training and then at games and stuff like that, they became more and more level-headed in their decision-making on field. They became more level-headed in their decision-making off field. And I just felt the whole um, being able to be physical, I mean, we're we're not we are spiritual people but we're in human form we need that physical movement to make the whole of us come together sort of thing so yeah yeah, i I think something on that i think a sport definitely allows you to develop that you know that balance the the discipline the commitment you know uh you know as all those emotional, psychological aspects, along with the physical, you know, the fitness that you get from it, strength and aerobic fitness and, and everything, or power, everything. But I think with it doesn't come without a good coach or a good group around you. I think you need to have a good coach and a very good leadership group around you to drive that because without that, it can actually go the other way, I think, and become worse or it can just not do anything but i really think it's not just sport it's the again connection it's the people involved in the sport that help you to drive and develop those characteristics like discipline and you know um, commitment and level-headedness you, you know what i also found interesting actually with people human behavior <laughs> um people don't like being disliked so often there will be a set of people who have a lot of success on the sporting field and the more success you have as a club, the more others will start disliking you. And I felt those people without a backbone would soon leave or would soon start falling apart. And it was like, no, you're not being show pony or anything like that. It's just you're lifting the standards. And by you lifting standards, others will lift their standards. Like, keep going, keep going, be strong. And if, you know, people are starting to hit you more on field or (laughs) throw more shit at you off field then just keep raising the bar like do it in a nice way but just keep raising the bar but as human people you know I noticed with I don't know if it's a female thing or not but a lot of women were actually afraid to shine in the early days so when they were good at things they would start um, self-sabotaging and backing off and doing all that sort of stuff or they'll jump to another club but yet there was there were other people who who wanted all that success and highlight without willing to work for it as well. <laughs> yeah, you, you're but definitely touching on the, yeah, the tall poppy syndrome of Australia that Australia is renowned for. Yeah, no one likes being, you know, disliked. So you do things self-sabotage to, oh, right, I better bring myself back down to their level. Um, 
but uh, actually a couple of things I just want to touch on when you talked about discipline before and I think in um, and you spoke of Johnny A and I thought wow you really were surrounded by good people like watching Johnny play um, just showed so much discipline as a player and even as a person off field like he was he was just so disciplined in his actions like he was such a clean player um, and also disciplined in his um, what he did with his body like he's so athletic um, just so beautifully natured off the field and around the club and all the rest of it as well. So you're in good hands. But um, it's friendship group. But I just lost my train of thought where I was going next about the body. It'll come back. Yeah, we were talking about discipline and um, not wanting to stand out too much, you know, uh, which I'm going to go down this path a little bit and feel free to go back if you remember what you're talking about. But yep. I, I do think that that is more women than men that do do that. I think it's both, but I do think that women are a bit more worried about standing out and looking, you know, like getting too good and then, you know, being subject to ridicule. But if you do start to get, you know, hit a bit more often in a game, or I think that you have to, it's all about your internal dialogue and you have to look at that like a, a positive, that that's a compliment that, these other players, yeah. your opponents, are giving you credit. They're going, this is a good player, and we need to try and find a way to nullify them. So I think if you can, it, if you can, yeah, it, it's about the internal dialogue, and if you can flip the script, then that's how you go to the next level again. Yeah, that would fire me up. Like once I was done again here around, I was like, right, get <laughs> your game back. So, yeah, you'd always put, um, you'd, you'd be able to focus more. The more shit that was thrown at me and the more I was hit around, I was like, all right, I'll just be first the ball next time. You won't be able to, you won't be able to hit me. Um, after a while, it was wearing. But that's a male-female thing too, I think. And I, I will touch on this, like having grown up in the community I was grew, up, uh, grew up in and the way I've lived my life, I feel the shame job mentality is a real, um, it's not just, belonging to the Aboriginal culture. It actually belongs to women um, for different reasons, but there's a real shame job mentality there. And, you know, going to the boarding schools and picking up girls and um, one of the things I always used to talk about with loving footy was um, what you could wear. Like, even if you're playing club-level netball, you've got to be in a freaking bodysuit and in such a short skirt. And, I mean, that, that might be beautiful for some people. But there's a lot of women out there and a lot of community-based people who, um, or people that grew up in a culture where, you know, it was not appropriate to be, you know, wearing fitted clothing and showing your body and all this sort of stuff, all starring and being good at something. And what I loved about footy is you could be a size medium, but you can order a 3XL shorts and wear them long or um, your jumpers, you know, if you, sure, if you were into it and you didn't, didn't want to be... Um, tackled and slung by your jumper then you got a, a little jumper but you could wear one as big as baggy as you like and I thought it's one of the beautiful things about the sport is for women I thought is you got your um, height and your and your shorter girls you've got your speedsters you've got your strength girls you've got all sorts of shapes and sizes you've got 18 women minimal coming together that are just such a mixed bunch Whereas on a netball court, you got seven, basketball, you got five. And in, you know, that you had restrictions on your clothing. And one of the things about footy was basically you're in it. You can be in a sloppy short and shirt. And um, this is for those that suffered through the through shame job mentality. You could actually be in an environment where it was okay. And that's what um, I really pushed for school sport NT and that was one of my arguments as well like what do you mean like this is one of those sports that is so inclusive of females it's yeah it's traditionally male dominated but it's so inclusive of females from all walks of life not just those that understand really strict discipline and are comfortable wearing a, a body figging fitting outfit I mean all and good on those that are comfortable with it but we just have to be mindful that there are all walks of life out there and that's we need to cater for everybody. In so where to next for women's footy? Where do you see the game going? Um, I haven't focused a lot on the elite level. Um, 
I feel, where's the game going? Um, I'd like to see more females drive the culture of the game. And I think we're very blessed to have some sensational men in the game. Um, and, but I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding about, well, what I would love is for females to be able to enter the game, stay in their physical, their feminine presence, sorry, their feminine presence, and still compete at that um, level, whether it's club level, elite level, whatever. But there needs, for me, there needs to be a shift in the energy of, well, yeah, you can come in. Um, this is who I am. I might be a, you know, nice, soft 15-year-old who likes this, this and this. I want that young girl to leave as a young woman um, still knowing who she is and still being comfortable feeling soft and in her feminine space. I wouldn't like a 15-year-old to come in and I've seen this happen. You know, they're 17, 18, they start the party life and get involved in different things and they, they've got this masculine energy about them where they don't feel safe being in their own feminine energy anymore. And I would love that cultural shift to be, well, women, you can still be a beautiful feminine energy and still have a really good physical presence. You can still be competitive and the mastermind of your game. Um, as soon as you're off the white line, then you can drop back into your feminine nature so easily. Whereas I felt, I feel that um, this passage of time hasn't allowed us to do that so greatly. But I would like to see the shift evolve to that. Um, it's it's only going to grow. It it's only going to grow, and um, I think it's got to change skill set wise and that's just natural evolution because we've got younger people coming in that have played the game for longer so the AFLW level skill set wise will change whereas at the moment I think you can still dominate in AFLW just being a, a brilliant athlete um, and there's a difference between being a brilliant athlete and a brilliant footballer you know not all athletes have a football mind often you can't teach what um, you know, I'll just give an example of Natasha Powell Jimmy or, you know, some of those girls on the islands, um, Tiwi Islands, their football brain is just sensational. It, now, if they could be just enough to be the athlete, even better for them. But um, we've got young girls coming through that will develop that football brain. So our elite level programs here, I think, are going to change um, to more free flowing game of footy yeah I can't wait to see it Becky I just want to acknowledge you for all the work that you've done in the women's footy space and thank you for your time today on the mind your body show as you've been talking I have been writing down some notes and we're going to finish off with our quick fire 10 and 10 you ready to finish um, off with this Margaret I've just um pull you up it's isn't your women's footy show now not mind your body what did I just say the mind your body yeah, show on your mind your body show Oh, I told you before we started recording, I have to watch that. I'm It's just rolls off the tongue. It's been since 2017 I've been doing the Mind Your Body show. It's now 2020, late 2023, six years, oh, five and a half or something. Yeah, it's going to take some time. The Women's Body Show, we're going to finish off with this 10 and 10, the same as what we used to do with the Mind Your Body show. Yep. Right. Are you ready to go with this? Yep. All right, first thing that comes to mind, 200 games. Consecutive, 200 consecutive games. Wow. Wow. N number, t number two, you, this is your words, not mine, being a desert rat. I loved it. Wouldn't, wouldn't replace it for the world. Loved it. Number three, past lives. Ooh, history. Um, past lives. Our energies today is like, we're 80% of who we are, but we're 20% ancestral as well. Like sometimes we've got shit going on. <laughs> think, Why do I feel like this? Nothing's happened to me to be feeling this way. But you've got 20% ancestral and, and past life baggage hanging around as well that often needs to be cleared up. That's why you come back. <laughs> if anyone's interested in that, can they contact you to find out more? Yeah, absolutely. That's my jam. That's um, I'm just in my 
most brilliant, happiest space when I'm talking energy with somebody and I, I just read the body, just like, yeah, off track here. But I do, I can see in the body, I can, I get just beautiful messages for people and it's all their own energy stuff going on. And how can people contact you if they would like to know more? Oh, you can look me up on Facebook and send me a private message or I'm, I'm actually going to be doing my website soon because I want to head down that path. I just feel that I'm in such a helpful space when I'm there. So, yeah, keen to take it on as a business venture. Awesome. Uh, number four, boarding school. It, yum came to mind. I don't know why. <laughs> the, um, food was a bit ordinary. Um, why is yum? I just feel the deliciousness of, um, of being in – it was just fun times, being in good energy. You know, it was a safe space to – just grew up around a lot of girls and I, I can Tali will tell you as well I'll travel from anywhere in life and I'll it'll take me five days to get 800 kilometers because I need to call in and see all these old mates along the road like I've always got a room anywhere around Australia I'll drive up from Brisbane up to Cooktown and I'm like every not every four hours I'm like oh I'm gonna stay here the night and catch up with someone so I'm gonna say catch up mm-hmm. so-and-so or WA Tali and I go everywhere and I'm she's like where we shouldn't we be booking a motel because she's quite structured and organised? I'm like, ah, nah, we'll, we'll just have a conversation, catch up with someone. And, yeah, <laughs> there's, it's boarding school's the same as sport. You've got friends for life. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, sport and recreation. Um, good, goodness, sport and recreation, essential. Number six, feminine energy. Another wow, just um, feminine energy. Don't be afraid of it. Like everyone's got it, males, men and women, just feminine energy. Allow yourself to be nurturing and allow yourself to be nurtured like as well, not just to give out that nurturing. But feminine energy is definitely of receiving, so be lovely to see more women receive whatever it is they want in life. Number seven, moving homes. (laughs) Joy. Sarcasm. No, it was joy, excitement, as in, yeah, new life. It, some, it's just different each time. Rental life was good. You know, you'd have inspections every three months, so you'd have great spring cleans and all the rest of it. But, um, no, it's, it's pain in the ass, but it's joy. You get a fresh start all the time. Number eight, kicking a footy that first time at the Uni Oval. Friends. Well, not the first time, but that time. Yeah, that time felt connection. I played footy in primary school, actually. My brother was pissed off once because we used to win a dollar for best player and I won the dollar over him once. <laughs> <laughs> he used to win it every week. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was Lenora versus Leinster. But Number now nine. and connection. No, that's great. Number nine, starting the WFLNT. Proud. Proud. And... And number yeah. 10, if you could go for this is time travel, if you could go forward in time or back in time, to which point in time would you go to and why? You can come back to now if you would like. Oh, Afterwards, you don't get stuck. Sometimes people get stuck. They go, oh, I don't want to go forward and you know, get stuck and not be able to come back. I like my life. This is time travel. So it's kind of like a little bit of insight into my crazy mind. And if there's one thing that I could do in my, in my lifetime, it would be to time travel. I would love it to be able to go to any point in time. And I'm imagining you're probably going to say even like another plane of universe, another plane of energy. Um, uh-huh. I don't believe that there's one universe. I think there's multi-universes. Oh, yeah, there's and, definitely parallel right. universes. And we jump between those universes. But um, to answer your question, I actually want to be present. Like our presence, if we're in this moment and being present, like what am I feeling? What am I seeing? What am I tasting? What am I hearing? All that sort of stuff is... We, we don't, we're not living in fear. We're just living in that moment. And our, what I can say is that our present moment determines our future anyway. If I'm shitty today, then that's predetermining my tomorrow. So if I'm present today and in that space, then my tomorrow, my future, is going to be predetermined by that presence and that, that space. So I, I guess I'm in two timelines at the one time there. Whereas if I'm living in my past... I would just be continually living that past in my future as well. So if you're living in the present right now, you're also influencing your future. So you're living in 
the present and the future. Yeah. Whereas living in the past, you're living in all three. And if it's a shitty past, good luck to you. I like it. That's really insightful and kind of thought-provoking. Yeah, well, we have those conversations, you know. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> you got me thinking deep now. Anyway, that, what a interesting way to finish off and a fascinating conversation. Becky Taylor, thank you so much for your time today on the Women's Footy Podcast. Thanks, Jacob. Really appreciate you and your time. Cheers.